Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to Criminalia. This season, we are exploring the lives and motivations of some of the most notorious lady poisoners in history. I'm Maria Tremarki. And I'm Holly Fry. And today's episode is about a woman with an infamous reputation as a political schemer and poisoner in 15th century Italy. So we'll be talking about the Borgia family, specifically the notorious Lucretia Borgia, who was born in April of 1480, just outside of Rome. Lucretia was the illegitimate daughter of future Pope Alexander VI. At the time of her birth, though, he was still known as Cardinal Rodrigo Borgia, and his favorite mistress, Benozze de Catane, was her mother. And she was also the mother of Lucrezia's two dashing and handsome older brothers, Cesare, which is the Italian form of the name Caesar, and Giovanni, the Italian equivalent of John. Now, it may sound odd to us today, a Roman Catholic cardinal with a mistress or more. Um, but popes and cardinals were pretty much expected to have mistresses during this time in Italy. It was totally normal. And this was not just a thing with the Borgias. 
So Lucrezia was born during the Italian Renaissance, which spanned from 1320 to 1520, and she grew up at a time when artists and scientists were becoming not only appreciated, but also highly respected. And on the day she was born, her father summoned astrologers, who at that time were considered scientists, to their home to tell the future of his newborn. And we know that they foretold a remarkable future for her, but the details of that remarkable future have since been lost to history. And while we can't know what their predictions were, whether or not they came true, we do know that she did grow up in a very prominent family, and that family was very scandalous. But even if you haven't seen the television series The Borgias, you have almost certainly heard this family's name, and maybe even know some of the family's legacy. Lucretia was born into one of the most well-known families in history. The Borgia family included military leaders, dukes, two popes, and even a saint. Yet, the legacy of the Borgias is not one of generosity or inspiration or saintliness in any way. Their reputation actually was more for greed, violent political corruption, megalomania, and power-hungry control over vast regions of Italy. And the family's alleged immorality and corruption, whether that's all true or not, date all the way back to Alphonse de Borgia, who was born in the 1300s. So centuries worth of drama. <laughs> yes, their storyline goes way back. Um, but with the Borgias, the, you know, I mean, it does go way back. And the apple today and then does not fall far from the tree. So first, there was Lucretia's father, Rodrigo, who was a cardinal and was accused of buying the papacy. <laughs> and he probably did. Yeah, uh, yeah. In fact, it was believed by many that he had, quote, given his soul and body to the great demon in hell. That uh, he probably <laughs> didn't do, but you never know. <laughs> Wait, you, you just don't know what happened in the 15th century. <laughs> I believe that he believed if he did indeed believe it. <laughs> if it was believed, it was true. Um, so Lucretia had uh, two brothers, which we mentioned earlier, and Giovanni was assassinated in 1497 under mysterious circumstances. And by mysterious circumstances, and you can, you can hear my air quotes, I think when I say that, we mean that his power-hungry brother may have murdered him in a fit of jealousy. But, but, but maybe not. It's equally possible that Giovanni was killed while having an affair that went wrong, or possibly in an argument with a non-family member, a non-Borgia. <laughs> so uh, this we're talking about because this is the environment in which Lucretia was born into. So we can get back to her now. So Lucretia was not raised by her parents. She was instead sent to live with her father's cousin, who was a widower living in a palace in Rome, and she was educated at the convent of St. Sixtus. She was really well-educated for a woman in the 1500s, and she was able to converse and write in several languages, including Italian, French, Latin, and Greek. She was considered, and we're quoting, a model of good breeding. And that quote comes up in, in various forms, but in so many places. Um, she, though, is yet often maligned, and Lucretia has long been characterized in literature, films, and, you know, just various forms of art as a woman who was vicious, extravagant, and also guilty of nepotism, incest, and murder, which 
the poisons fit in there. Kind of like the description of anyone else in the Borgia family as a whole clan throughout their history. And here is where we want to turn our focus. Was she actually guilty of the many bad acts she is accused of having done? (laughs) Because that list is pretty long. Man, so... In fact, though, the real-life Lucretia may have been much different than the stories we think of when we think of her and her family. So today, scholars actually believe that there probably isn't enough proof that she was a political schemer and murderer herself, like her notorious family members. But that instead, she may have been a political pawn that was used by her father for family gain. Um, So let's lay that all out. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick break and have a word from a sponsor. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Lucretia's three marriages. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older (laughs) in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com 
slash Criminalia for 10% off your first order. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about Lucretia's marriages and how each was designed to politically advance the Borgia family. So Lucretia is described as having light blue-green eyes and wavy golden hair. It is said that she later bleached that hair to maintain its goldenness. I love that. I I actually, <laughs> when I saw that detail, I was like, was she the first bottle blonde? Like, I was just, <laughs> bleach she was, blonde. I wonder if she went platinum. Like, I just loved that detail about how she was like, I'm not going gray. I will just stay golden. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and like her mother, she was considered to be a great beauty. The famous painting known as Disputation of St. Catherine is actually said to have been modeled after her. And it was written that her whole being exuded and we quote, gaiety and humor. And it was often noted that she was quite graceful. Definitely not the kind of thing that goes alongside with she was a horrible scheming monster. Right, you know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, so um, she was married three times. Um, and all three times, it was not for love. Her marriages were all strategic and they all were to align the Borgia family with other influential families. Uh, they were all relatively easy for her father to do. Um, and, it, and, you know, a, a marriage wasn't a big deal back then. Um, you weren't in love. You were just building the family's political power. And as we get into her relationships, we got to get this part out of the way first. Yes. There are many, many stories about orgies and incest among the Borgias, but there's no evidence, like literally goose egg, big zero, <laughs> uh, that Lucretia yep. slept with her father or her brother, both of which are rumors that have persisted through time. Centuries. Just like the orgies her father was said to have hosted, there's simply no proof that they or these stories of incest are in any way true. Affairs, though, absolutely. <laughs> but but <laughs> that's not the same thing. Modern historians consider this to all be rumor and exaggeration. And, you know, sorry to break the news. Those are the big stories of the Borgias, but they're all kind of fairy tale stories. Not as fun and salacious, but... No. <laughs> 
They're not, sorry. Let's do, though, talk about her marriages. Because they are, you know, in their own way, they have their own problems. So the first time Lucretia was engaged, she was just 11 years old. We have talked before about how, you know, as was the case and is the case here where this is for political gain, it has very little to do with the actual marriage and more of just like a business contract. Correct. We've seen six-year-olds and three-year-olds who've been engaged to each other, which is just, I don't even have a word for it, but political pawn, I'll just say. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, And so this first engagement was to a Spanish nobleman, and it was arranged by her father, who at that point had ascended to become Pope Alexander VI. I hear he paid for it. Right. That's the rumor. (laughs) So it was a cash transaction. (laughs) But wanting to align themselves then politically within Italy, her father and brother decided to call off that engagement. Instead, Lucretia would marry Giovanni Svorza, a man in his late 20s who was, unfortunately, best known for his vicious temper. Yeah, so they married in Rome in 1493. Uh, But not long into the marriage, Lucretia's father and brother became interested instead in aligning themselves politically with Spain and also with Naples. And they no longer saw a need for Giovanni. Um, So worried that he was losing favor with the Borgias, and he was, in fact, losing favor with the Borgias, Giovanni fled for his life. The marriage was annulled by Pope Alexander under the pretense that it was never consummated. However, (laughs) when the marriage was officially annulled in 1497... Lucretia was six months pregnant, so that would suggest that that marriage was consummated. Definitely does. At least with someone, (laughs) uh, which would have made it way more problematic to annul it in the Catholic Church. Correct. Rumors swirled throughout the country as to who the father of this child might be. So there were reports of her pregnancy, but they were initially refuted. And in March 1498, she gave birth to a son. So... You could no longer refute that pregnancy. She named him Giovanni, and the baby was born in secret. And he wasn't actually revealed to the public until he was about three years old. And her pregnancy and the secrecy surrounding it, of course, actually made the whole situation worse because it (laughs) kicked the rumor mill into its highest possible gear. And because her son's paternity was never established, gossipers kind of went crazy. They could just run with it because there was nothing to refute them. It was suggested in this gossip and rumor mill that the baby was a product of incest. Here we go, right? From either her brother or maybe her father. The baby was not a product of incest, but it is possible that she'd had an affair with her father's chamberlain, Pedro Calderon. Um, And though they were married when she got pregnant, no one actually ever assumed it was her husband Giovanni's child. Romans even went so far as to question whether or not Lucretia was actually the baby's mother. Like, they took it that far. <laughs> like, <I'm> like, <laughs> like, they somehow introduced this problematic child just for fun. Right. He just appeared it's out someone of else's. <laughs> and she's raising We it. won't say who. Yeah. Uh, Lucretia was not single for long, despite all of this madness and scandal (laughs) surrounding her. Her father and brother, and by now you can see exactly who was really running this family and running Lucretia's life, chose 17-year-old Alfonso of Aragon, who was the illegitimate son of Alfonso II, the king of Naples, 
to be Lucretia's second husband. It's a lot of twos in that one. Yeah. Second husband, Alfonso II. Get the astrologers on the line. (laughs) (laughs) There's meaning here. The pair were married in 1498, so she she wasn't single for very long, like we were saying. This was a very fast marriage put together. And it was said that Alfonso was handsome and he had good manners. And unlike many or most political marriages that we talk about, the evidence actually suggests that the two of them did love each other or at least were really rather fond of each other. Um, They had one child together, too, uh, and they named him Rodrigo after her father. But just a year into that second marriage, which was going quite well, Alexander and Cesare considered the partnership a political hindrance. So, yes, again, just uh, mercurial whims of their political desires. Now they wanted to align politically with France. And so, fearing for his life, Alfonso fled Rome. And actually for good reason, because in 1500, Lucretia's brother tried to have Alfonso assassinated by stabbing, but it failed. And it's reported that he then visited her husband's bedside to deliver a chilling message. What was not finished at breakfast would be complete by dinner. Which is, you know, I have this like vision of him like crawling in through the window and like sliding into the bed and like whispering it into his ear and like being like real <laughs> creepy about the whole thing. You know? Like a spirit that's come in from nature. When really it just, you know, it's kind of Borgia-esque. Yeah. <laughs> charming, charming at every turn. Now depleted as an option. Right, that's out. He decided that the next manner of approach would be strangulation. And this assassination attempt did work, and it left his sister a widow. And Lucretia was sent to the countryside to mourn. And allegedly, and I, because her brother and her father grew tired of watching her grieve, which to me is a detail that seems very Borgia-esque, doesn't it? I mean, she, they're like, why do you keep crying? <laughs> you know? oh, get her out of <laughs> here. Just... just Send her to Tuscany for a little while, you know. So when she did return to Rome, she actually began working for her father. Um, And basically, she did some secretarial work for the papal court. um, And that included responding to his mail when he was away. Now, that we know, but there may actually have been more to it. And this kind of jibes with what historians today believe, that she was frequently left in charge of the papal court during her father's absence. And that is a huge detail because she was a woman after all. And this is a very powerful place to have that much free reign. Some actually also go on to suggest that because she was frequently left in charge of the court, she was not the pawn that some historians believe she may have been, and that instead she was given a unique position of power for any woman at this time. And it's it's really hard to know just how involved she she really was able to be. And really, we should point out that these two things could simultaneously be true, which would have made for a very strange dichotomy in her life. True. So she may have had a great deal of reach and power as her father's trusted assistant in the papacy, and also have had very little to no control over the arrangements of her personal life. And I think that that might be on to something there. Um, It certainly sounds like it. Because of the political motivations of her father and brother, again, Lucretia was yet married a third time, and her third husband, again, was not of her own choice. 
So in February 1502, she wed widower Alfonso d'Este, Duke of Ferreira. And although this was an arranged marriage, it's said that Lucretia was actually pretty eager to marry Alfonso because it meant that she could leave Rome, get away from her father and brother, and live in northern <laughs> Italy. She could just yeah. have a little space of her own where they were not up in her business at every moment. Exactly. They're not like, your marriage is over. You're marrying number 10 now. You know, right. she's like, I just want to, I want to get out. And I think that's very telling about the kind of life that she wanted to lead versus the kind of life that she was being told to lead. Um, but but let's talk about her husband, Alfonso, the third husband, because the second husband was also Alfonso, <laughs> uh, just for a quick minute, because he's kind of an interesting man. Uh, on one hand, he was into artillery and tournaments, dogs, horses. He he made pottery. He played the viol, which is a, a musical instrument that was popular during the Renaissance. Um, it was at six strings. Um, I know you're probably trying to like envision a viola or a violin, but it didn't truly look like that. It was held vertically. It was played with a bow. Yet, on the other hand, he was also well-known for his cruelty and his stinginess and just kind of strange behavior in general. I looked and looked for what kind of strange behavior Alfonso might have engaged in. And I, <laughs> I mean, if you tell me you're not curious, right? So like, but I actually came up with very little. Um, so I wonder... What if, qualifies as right, strange? Right? You know, did he, was yeah. he the kind of guy who just walked to the mailbox in his boxers? Or was he really strange? Like, it was, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> And, and, and like your imagination can sort of take it to many places where history is not really taking it. But those two things uh, together made me feel like he was and she seemed to really love him. Like he seemed like this was also another good relationship for her. Um, and scholars believe that Lucretia became both a very capable and popular duchess while she was married to him. She was a patron of the arts. Uh, that was, and, and the art community was flourishing during the Renaissance. And as she grew older, she devoted herself to various charities. And much like how she managed the papal court when her father was away, she also administered the affairs of state when her husband was away. If it seems that history has turned the Borgias into a twisted and tangled story perfect for a primetime drama, it surely may have. In fact, as we mentioned earlier, their legacy is so strong that it has literally been turned into a primetime drama. Yes, not one that I have ever watched, but yet it seems like it really kind of leans toward the the the, uh, the fantasy of what the Borgia family may or may not have been. Um, so while it's actually long scenes of bleaching hair, that's really all it is. <laughs> I, sh I should watch. Right? <laughs> a quick way to do my roots <laughs> by right. Lucretia Borgia. <laughs> Um, so they were definitely guilty as a family of nepotism and simony. And let's face it, I mean, they were surely criminals of one sort or another. But historians today believe that it was actually unlikely that the clan was actually any worse than any other family who was continually vying for the throne during the Italian Renaissance. Yeah, the papacy and all of that is so tied up in so many machinations throughout the aristocracy. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, it's, it's funny that this one family got separated out. Yes, they absolutely surely took bribes. Yes, they definitely had affairs. They 100% took advantage of any and every situation where they could use it to advance their family's power. And they surely did order the assassination of more than one rival. 
They certainly did not hesitate to get rid of Lucretia's second husband, if you recall. And Lucretia couldn't wait to get away from them. I think that's very telling. Uh, But why their story is so outrageous compared to other contemporary political families is kind of a little bit strange, right? You'd think that everybody would get treated at least sort of vaguely equally. Um, Everyone was power hungry and everyone was corrupt. But there are a couple of things in play, right, that explain to some degree why they became kind of the the apex vision of (laughs) of all of this greed and and power mongering. (laughs) One big problem for the Borgias, as we have seen before in other episodes, is that they suffered the ill fortune of having been foreigners in a country that hated foreigners. Yes. If you were not from Italy at this time, it was believed that you were most likely to be corrupt and vile. And the Borgias were not originally from Italy. They were Spaniards, and they were trying to rule Italy. So it's like a double down on their their vileness. (laughs) How horrible. Anti- You monsters. Exactly. Anti-Spanish propaganda in Italy was really popular at this time, and it painted all Spaniards as brutal and oppressive. But you probably don't get an expression like, and I'm quoting here, and many of you probably have heard this quote before, if you, if you want to live, don't dine with the Borgias. And few who have dined with the Borgias have lived to tell of it. If you're not at least a tiny bit, maybe just a little bit murderous. People say that about my house all the time. Yeah, don't need a Holly. Don't need a Holly. It's really more like, right, she's going to cook some weird thing and you're not going to want to eat it. Um, (laughs) Many Borgia stories actually are centered around Lucretia's brother, Cesare, and his appetites. And those appetites are, of course, greed and lust and power and murder. That's pretty well documented. And it is pretty fair to say that murder by poison has long been associated with this family name. But that doesn't mean that every Borgia was guilty of any of these acts. Some probably didn't do any of the poisoning. Right? Some just wanted to move away. (laughs) (laughs) Please do marry me off again. That would be great. Love to go to Northern Italy. Get away from here. Um, So we're going to take this opportunity for a quick break and a word from our sponsor. But when we come back, we'll be talking finally, right, about the Borgia family's poisonous legacy. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. 
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to Criminalia, where we are about to start getting into the Borgia's secret recipe for poison. I know, isn't that like, that's that, that whole like, dun, 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 they have a secret family recipe. I love it. So, it's, <laughs> I keep thinking about like ads for companies that make food that talk about their longstanding family recipe. Be like, we slow cook our poison with our, 11 magical our, poisons. Our artisanal <laughs> summer poisons can <laughs> It's a craft poison. <laughs> it's, it's made with heritage arsenic. <laughs> so we are finally here at the poisons. And when it comes to poisons, Lucretia's father and brother likely did use many, many of them to their political advantage. And 
uh, as did many other politically important families at the time, not just the Borgias, like we were saying, but it was rumored that the pair poisoned a cardinal or maybe two, maybe maybe more. Um, but again, one of those stories that modern scholars think is probably unlikely. Uh, just because everyone else was doing it doesn't mean that the Borgias were also doing it. Um, but it does make their salacious stories way more fun. <laughs> so we have spent a lot of time throughout this entire season talking about poison being used as a political tool, used all the way back into antiquity. During the Italian Renaissance, poisonings were so frequent that most people assumed when anyone of royalty or a pope or a cardinal died, basically anyone with any kind of shred of power, it was probably not a natural death. We see that so <laughs> um, often, right? Like, right. <laughs> right? Right, because this was kind of just a common way for people to go about their affairs unhindered by the person who had been blocking those affairs. Exactly. There, and there's a lot to choose from. It doesn't always have to be arsenic, which the Borgias at least show us that there is a rainbow of poisons available to us to use. <laughs> um, there is an interesting history about this family and poisons, and it's said that they were known to use several types, like I was just saying. Um, one we see a lot in this show, which is arsenic, because it's odorless and it's tasteless and you can mix it into things and you won't be there when the person dies, and it's, it's a popular poison. Um, but they also used several other slow-acting and powerful poisons, which included strychnine and cantharidin, which you probably know as Spanish fly. In, in, in larger quantities, it won't just engorge your genitals, it will kill you. Um, and the flower wolfsbane. So poisons would be added to food and drinks, clothes, gloves, which you talked about before, pages of books, right, right. and even flowers. Which I thought was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Don't smell the tulips. Don't like, do it. <laughs> uh, tasting the cup of the Borgias came to be a euphemism for death by Borgia. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad way to die, but it's a good turn of phrase. There are stories describing poisonous balls, which were formed and placed in fireplaces. And when you burned them, they would produce toxic fumes that would waft through the house and kill people. That was an interesting one. Um, but where they actually kind of jump ahead of their peers in the art of poisoning is how they selected and mixed their poisons. So it's said that the Borgias did that uh, and they would make rare poisons because uh, they're apparently Borgias can't just use arsenic. They would mix them in their cellars with like consider it with as much thought as if you were, say, making or storing vintage wines. They had poisons. So their ideal poison was reliable, effective, deceptive, and slow acting, but strong enough to kill the victim. Which, of course, when it comes to poison, every single one of those attributes totally <laughs> makes sense. Right? I mean, I see that they had a list of their checking off. They're like, yep, does it, does it all, as it should. It's a poison. Their <laughs> QA, their QA <laughs> is like, does it? You know what? It's, mm, it's not deceptive, but it is reliable and effective. <laughs> they've got a big whiteboard. They've got it all flowcharted out. You know? <laughs> so the, the family's poison legacy is also said to have included a secret family recipe for a poison called Cantarella. And it was a variation on arsenic plus a few other deadly ingredients. So if you didn't happen to have arsenic on hand, you could still make it and you could still kill someone. Uh, but the complete composition of what it was remains mostly unknown except for kind of one or two ingredients. We don't really know how to put it together, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. 
Interestingly, the family took Cantarella so seriously that it was one of those things that was only fabricated in their own cellars. And it had, as Maria said, this secret list of ingredients. And it mimicked the properties of arsenic, uh, perfect for its odorless and flavorless nature. Whatever it was, was kind of the perfect poison, at least by Borgia standards. Right. It hit all of those bullet points. (laughs) Uh, We do know, though, there's this one ingredient. Um, It's so gross, but apparently... It was used in the composition of Cantarella, and it was an important ingredient in this poison, which is yuck. It's uh, yuck, let me tell you. The good news is, I suppose you would be deceased and not have time to be grossed out when you realized what you had consumed. Um, okay, so a little bit of science. Alkaloids, which are naturally occurring organic compounds that contain nitrogen, were not unheard of in the poison business. In fact, for example, the poison strychnine is an alkaloid. Right. Not 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 out of the realm of possibility that a lot of others had them. Um, but alkaloids that were used in the Borgia's favorite poison, this is where it starts to get gross. And if you don't want to hear about animals and grossness, just mute Skip me for ahead just a 20 second. seconds. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> I, uh, I'm even an uncomfortable reading it. So if, I understand if you just skip ahead. Uh, but they were obtained from poisons, uh, pigs that they'd poisoned with arsenic. Um, and it gets worse. Multiple accounts refer to how it was the froth from around the pig's mouth that was collected and then stored for Cantarella making. It's awful. <sighs> yeah. I know. Take a moment. It is so awful. But here is the thing. It, it was actually a common practice to suspend a poison like arsenic in animal fat. So this pig story is actually pretty plausible historically. Yeah. It's it probably is. I always wonder, like, who's the person that gets that idea and goes, you know what we got to do? <laughs> yeah, no is kidding. Is poison right? a pig and then... <laughs> Collect the froth around Use <laughs> that. And that's what we're going to use for our poison. So symptoms of being poisoned by Cantarella include a lot of the usual stuff that we have seen when we've talked about poisoning before. So uh, the victim would experience confusion, vomiting, abdominal pain, and probably diarrhea, all of which could mimic several other conditions as well as several other poisons. Uh, It is said that this could kill with precision timing. So depending on how you manage the dose, you could make sure they died the same day or even in a week, Uh, just, you know, on carefully measuring out. And there was, of course, no antidote. Right. Um, And it was so potent that the poison became known as the liquor of succession, meaning it was perfect for eliminating other cardinals and other people in positions of power, but probably mainly cardinals who were as needed for Rodrigo and his family to get ahead. Now, there is a very popular story about how Lucrezia wore a poison-filled ring, sprinkling Cantarella from it into wine glasses. One of my favorite stories about Lucrezia. Oh, it's a great story. And who doesn't love a poison ring? What? Um, but this doesn't appear to have actually been true. If there was a poison ring in the Borgia family, and that is a big if, it is believed that it was Cesare who actually wore it. Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) Just reading about him, I I believe it. Um, So the truth about this alleged notorious lady poisoner is that it's unlikely 
that she ever poisoned anyone at all. Um, and some scholars, modern scholars like to tell a joke here. And I, I we're going to follow suit because it's dead accurate. So instead of poisoning, it was Lucretia herself who was poisoned by the pen of history. <gasps> That's how it goes. <laughs> how can you not laugh when you hear that? Like, it's perfect. <laughs> I think I more laughed at your dramatic dr- delivery, which My is dramatic great. dramatic ending? Yeah, great. that's okay. I practiced. So although, of course, it is way more interesting to think that she was as corrupt as history has suggested throughout the centuries, but Lucretia was actually generally admired and respected in her time by her contemporaries. So it seems pretty clear, looking at modern research and documents from contemporary scholars, that Lucretia Borgia's reputation does not at all precede her, and that the stories of her as a poisoner and generally as a wicked woman are completely undeserved. As for Alexander and Cesare, we hope that the story that they died from accidental cantarella poisoning were true. We wish. It's not true. It's not true. <laughs> but I, I like the idea that the ironic story would be there, but it is not. Um, and sadly, Lucretia, her, she died uh, at the age of 39, uh, with just... 10 days, about a week to 10 days after giving birth to a stillborn daughter. And it said that Alfonso wept at the loss of, and we quote, his sweet companion. So at least she got a quiet end to her life. Yeah. You know, moving out of Rome was a great thing for Lucretia. And moving away from her family seems to have done her really well. Although history doesn't seem to tell us that. Lucretia didn't have any poison, but Holly, what's yours? Uh, well, okay, I know everybody thinks I'm going to do something gross here. I'm not. The thing that I kept thinking about when trying to come up with a good cocktail for her uh, was her many weddings. <laughs> and I thought right. about wedding cocktails and the kinds of drinks that you're often served, like the signature cocktail right, at a wedding. Right. And since she had three, I came up with a cocktail that I'm calling Thrice Wed. And it starts with three fruits, one to represent each of her husbands. So uh, you're going to have some watermelon and some plum and some apricots. Oh. You know, Italy is the largest producer of apricots in the European Union. I did, did not you know, know that? that. That's I love right, it. Well, I did not know. A little a little fun factoid for it you is. today. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I'll carry so that a with quarter me. cup... <laughs> A quarter cup of each of those fruits, diced, you know, just roughly chopped, throw them in the blender. Um, You're going to just crank that up and let them go until they're smooth. For me, uh, the what I really like about it is that it smooths out and this, it's this very pretty kind of peachy pink color, but the skins of the plums don't completely break up. So you have these little dark flecks in it, which is kind of pretty. Um, and so then you take that blended fruit and you pour it you fill half of a champagne flute or a coupe with it and then add five drops of bitters on top i used ella ella macule tiki bitters Mm -hmm. but whatever bitter you prefer is probably fine Uh, and then i just put a little bit of prosecco in and i mixed it with a uh 
cocktail spoon just to get everything smoothed out uh, because otherwise sometimes the alcohol will just float on top of yeah, the fruit yeah. and you don't get the you want them to definitely combine and then you can just finish filling it up with Prosecco and you can keep stirring as you go if you want or you can just top it off I'm so excited to tell you <laughs> how delicious this one was because I will completely I have been uh, very frank before on the show that like I'm not a bartender right. I just like to in play in the kitchen and and play with my blender and make up cocktails um, and so often one of the things that I'm never very good at is balancing a cocktail there's always something that's driving the bus <laughs> um, <laughs> but in this case all of these things balance each other so beautifully that none of them overwhelms it. Like you don't drink it and go, oh, Prosecco. And you don't drink it and go, oh, all watermelon. Oh, that's like nice. it really makes this beautiful, unique flavor that isn't any one of those things. It's all of those things. It's very much a Lucretia beverage. I think you nailed it. Yeah, uh, well, I hope. And it is super delicious. And I made too much. I started with like way too much fruit. So then I was like, well, I have to just keep pouring them because I have... <laughs> So so much fruit. I don't want it to go to waste. Like I'll as though right I could incorporate like, it into something else. <laughs> I just must make and drinks. It, <laughs> it even got the seal of approval from husband Brian, who, as we've said before, is not a drinker. But he was like, "This is delicious." Um, so I I think it's a good thing. It's a little. Um, it's a little bit summery for this time of year, but those bitters that I used, the Elamicule, have things like cinnamon and allspice in them. So it, it warms it up just a little and makes it feel like a late summer, early fall. Day. <laughs> I think this is great. Like there have been many drinks that you have done so far that you have liked, but there have only been a, a couple where you've been like, this drink is great. And I, I love hearing that. Um, it's right up there with White Toad for me as like my greatest contributions to the world. <laughs> I, right. I was thinking I was actually thinking specifically of White Toad when I was thinking about drinks that you had yeah, loved. This one also <laughs> very delicious. And I didn't uh, it's another one that I didn't know if I'd be super into it. I'm not that big of a Prosecco drinker. I'm not really big on fruity drinks usually. Uh, but this one is just mm, But apparently when you combine them all together, you find them delicious. Right? <laughs> It's like a Prosecco smoothie. It's fantastic. <laughs> Actually, exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> Prosecco smoothie with a little bit of bitters. Um, <laughs> we hope that you uh, g give it a whirl. The other thing I wanted to mention is that um, I did not want to have, you know, five cocktails. So you can make this as a non-alcoholic version. And instead of Prosecco, use something like a ginger ale or even a club soda. Um but if you still use those bitters, you get like a nice little little something in it that tastes more like a smoothie and less like you're just having like a fruity soda. So um, that's another option if you are not a drinker. Yes, we want to make sure everybody can enjoy all of these yummy fruits. Also, I should point out, in case you're doing any calendar math and you're like, hey, those fruits aren't all going to be in season at the same time right now. They're not. I used canned apricots. I'm <laughs> confessing to you now. Um, <laughs> and they were fine. Uh, You're going to blend them anyway. It's right. There's no shame in a canned fruit in a mixed drink. <laughs> and, um, and like I said, you can sub out non-alcoholic things for the Prosecco and still get a really yummy, delightful taste adventure. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us blather on about fruit and blenders as well as poison. <laughs> 
we appreciate our listeners so much. Uh, if you would like to subscribe to the show and you haven't already, you can do that. It's easy as pie. You can do that on the iHeartRadio app at Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to your favorite podcasts. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.